Firing Back is brought to you in part by Wilson Combat, the expert's choice in the highest quality, highest performing handguns in the world. Check them out at wilsoncombat.com. You are listening to Firing Back, a Gun Owners of America podcast. You're listening to Firing Back, the podcast that is keeping you armed for the challenges ahead. And I'm your host, Eric Pratt, Executive Director of Gun Owners of America, with my co-host, Remzo Martinez. Remzo, how are you today? Uh, Eric, it's great to be back with Firing Back. Folks, we've uh, we've been gone for a while, getting ready for this next volume, and let me tell you, I'm excited. If you liked the first couple episodes, let me tell you, we uh, we took some time, evaluated where we wanted to go with this, and we've got some great content coming ahead. But I'm going to go ahead and give a shameless plug for ourselves. Go ahead, and if you haven't done this already, go to whatever podcasting app or platform or device or whatever. You guys know the internet probably better than I do. And go ahead and leave us a five-star rating interview. Tell us how much you love us, how much you really love us. Basically, just tell us how awesome we are. So that way we trend, we get this message out there to more and more people. And that's less of a headache you have to worry about the next time something bad happens and they're saying, bump stocks, bump stocks. But yeah, that's that's about it, Eric. What's going on? Going real well. Uh, thank you for that shameless plug. So, Remzo, let's get to our subject at hand for today. How much do you know about American inventors? Do you have a favorite? I've got a favorite. He's a kind of a Superman comic book villain, especially if you watch like the 1930s cartoon where they show him as like this evil scientist. But I've got to say it's uh, Nikola Tesla. And uh, because I love America, Alan Turing, who made the first computer in World War II, which was able to decode the Enigma device, which was able to bring the allies to victory. I know that Alan Turing wasn't American, but, you know, we'll just adopt him for the content. (laughs) Well, those are some great examples, but I noticed that none of them were gun inventors, and that's not surprising. You don't usually hear about gun inventions or gun inventors in our schools today. No, I mean, you don't really. Um, I mean, I probably knew a couple in high school, but because of my liberal professors, I didn't want to get kicked out of class, so to speak. In fact, the whole subject of firearms is highly discouraged in our modern schooling system. I mean, I'm I'm just a recent college grad, and even amongst you know your more moderate conservative professors and teachers, it's just one of those things that people wanted to avoid because of the stigma. So you know, talking about weapons in a positive light is just something that you know I'm used to talking about it with you because of what we do. But growing up, especially in school, it just didn't really happen. But did you hear about the local principal who got massive complaints for taking kids on a school field trip to a gun range? They were studying historical characters like Annie Oakley and Davy Crockett, and the principal just wanted the children to see firsthand how difficult sharpshooting is. I did see that, and what an awful story. I mean, can you believe that the principal even received death threats? Wow. I mean, how ironic is that? You know, we don't like you talking about guns, so I'm going to kill you. Didn't Dana Lash have to move out of her house because of people like that? That's exactly right. Uh, Exactly right. I mean, it's ridiculous that a good portion of our history is being neglected and suppressed. And, uh, you know, if you want to teach kids about it, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be threatened. And it's a shame because there are some really interesting stories about firearm inventions that, for the most part, have just been forgotten by the average American, even by the average gun owner. So I'm getting this gut feeling that that's the topic we're going to go ahead and cover today. You better believe it, Remzo. So let's get down to it. 
So for starters, would you believe that the most prolific American gun inventor started tinkering with guns at the age of six, and by age 10, he had created his first gun out of scraps that he found in his dad's workshop? That's incredible. Today, that kid would be on like a DHS watch list, no doubt. And it's crazy because he did this without the benefit of YouTube. Oh, you better believe it. No YouTube for this kid. I mean, there wasn't even an internet. Now, his dad was a gunsmith. So, you know, that would have given him a head start over most folks. But get this, at, at 10 years old, he builds this rifle from scraps. And I mean, you would think, well, how good of a weapon can that be? Well, he and his brother use it to kill three prairie chickens for dinner that night. And according to some reports, his dad was not that pleased. Now, not because they killed the chickens, but for a totally unexpected reason. He looks at the gun and he tells his 10-year-old boy, son, you're going on 11. Can't you make a better gun than that? Ah, that's some tough love. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. But despite all that, this kid was driven and he grew up to receive more gun-related patents than any other person. He's actually been called the Leonardo da Vinci of firearms. And his inventions really have transformed the weapons used by our military over the past 100 years. In fact, one of his firearms has become the most replicated handgun on the planet, as clones or variants of that pistol have been produced by over 100 companies. And not surprisingly, his firearm designs have been used in Hollywood by actors ranging from John Wayne to Chuck Norris to even Tom, Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan. Heck, even the famed James Bond carried one of his guns on a couple of occasions. I, 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 I got to stop you right there. I thought James Bond carries a Walther PPK. That seems to be kind of a shtick. Yeah, well, okay, normally yes. But what does that tell you about this American inventor that on at least two occasions that I know of, the most famous British agent ever on silver screen carried what is one of the most popular handguns on the planet today. But again, this inventor's guns became the mainstay of the U.S. military weaponry, and one particular handgun that he designed has even been used in some of the most epic battle scenes ever. You brought up my trigger word, epic. I've got to go on a tangent right here because I want to talk about something fascinating. While we're on the topic of inventors and inventions, let me go ahead and talk to you about one of the finest gun makers on the market today, Wilson Combat. It's been said about Wilson Combat that they didn't invent the 1911, but they made it way better. For 40 years, Wilson Combat has been the leading innovator in high-performance, custom 1911s, as well as AR-15 rifles, scatter guns, and accessories. A Wilson Combat product is unmatched on almost every level of, ex of exceptional reliability and peerless craftsmanship, and it's only equaled by their best-in-class customer service. Now, for those picky customers, especially to my fellow millennials out there that, you know, when you go get like a craft beer, you want to have like a hint of shoe leather and chocolate and all this other random stuff. Let me tell you, picky people, Wilson Combat is now customizing even Beretta and Glock handguns in the all new EDC X9 high capacity defense handgun. Oh, that just sounds awesome rolling off the tongue right there. Check out their wide array of high quality products and custom services online at www.wilsoncombat.com. That's Wilson Combat. Com. Now, back, back to what we were talking about, Eric. Um, we were talking about the most prolific American inventor who ever lived in terms of the field of firearms and how his gun has been used in some epic battle scenes. I mean, Chuck Norris alone, like you can't get more American and more action packed than that. Yeah. Now let's go to real life. 
The first one I want to mention involved an unlikely hero, uh, a man who was a pacifist, a soldier who refused to brandish a weapon against the enemy. But after getting a leave of absence to reconsider his beliefs, this devoutly Christian man returned to the hills of Tennessee where he'd grown up to study the Bible more carefully and consider what it had to say about the use of force and self-defense. I think I might know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a very famous story. So he ponders this question for several days, and he concluded that he was justified in going to war. Uh, This is what he said, to even kill, and yet God would not hold it against me. So he returns to his unit, and then he's sent to France, where one of the most incredible David versus Goliath battles ever known to man took place. I mean, you wouldn't believe this incredible account if it was merely a story that Hollywood had made up. Let me see. This is not who I think it is. Oh, wait, it's it's Sergeant Alvin York. Yeah. Although on the day <laughs> in question, October 8th, 1918, he actually began the day as a corporal. Uh, he was stationed in France fighting the Germans. And York says the enemy was gassing them, raining gunfire down on them. I mean, to read his diary, it's like viewing a scene out of hell. York says the Germans had set up machine gun nests ahead of him, and they were just peeling off his friends right and left. So a counteroffensive was planned, and York became part of a team that made a surprise rear attack on German soldiers who had been machine gunning them. Well, It was a really dangerous mission, to say the least, although it actually started off pretty well. They immediately captured 15 to 20 Germans. The Americans surprised them while they were eating breakfast, and they just threw up their hands and surrender. But the German machine gunners eventually learned what was happening, so they swung the guns around and just rained down a hail of gunfire. And this is where it gets dicey. The Americans have some guys guarding the prisoners— Other Americans have been injured or killed by the German machine gunners, and so there are very few men left in this rear assault. In fact, York's commander was one of the ones who went down, so that put Alvin in charge. Well, York dropped to a prone position, and he just started nailing German soldiers. Every time a German helmet popped up, York would squeeze the trigger and touch him off. That's what York called it. He said he was touching them off one by one. And given the account from his diary, I honestly don't think York missed once during this entire assault. At one point during the firefight, six Germans made a bayonet assault against York. You know, I'm guessing they were counting his shots and decided to time their attack when York had expended his last round, or so they thought. Even then, that's like literally taking a knife to a gunfight. Well, it is. And they literally did bring their knives to a gunfight. Uh, Now, York says he had half a clip left in his rifle, but that wouldn't have been enough to stave off six bayonets. But what the Germans weren't counting on was York's 45 caliber pistol. Alvin later wrote this in his diary. He says, I touched off the sixth man first, then the fifth, then the fourth, then the third, and so on. He says, that's the way we shoot wild turkeys at home. You see, we don't want the front ones to know that we're getting the back ones, and then they keep on coming until we get them all. Now, that's Alvin York in his own words. So, long story short, York had killed over 20 enemy soldiers before a German major finally commanded all his men to lay down their weapons. Now, it helped that York had his 45 caliber pistol pointed at the major's head. 
might be a bit of an incentive right there. Oh, you would think so, yeah. <laughs> now, even still, one German thought that he could gain the advantage, and he lobs a hand grenade toward York, but Alvin just touched him off too. So at this point, they truly surrender. York and the remaining Americans march back through the front lines with over 130 German prisoners in tow. Alvin's pistol aimed at the German major's head the entire way. And so here's where our famous inventor comes back into the story, because he was the designer of that handgun that York used to pick off his attackers and hold the German major hostage. That was the M1911. You know, it's kind of crazy. You think of cars and automobiles when they're first coming out, you think of Ford, you think of theme parks, you think of Disney. When you think of this 1911, it's kind of crazy how most people don't even know who designed that, especially when you look at you know, its impact on history itself. Yeah, I think you're right. People don't realize. But the inventor was none other than that 10-year-old whiz kid, John Moses Browning. At the age of 56, he designed the 1911, and it has been a gun that has revolutionized handguns forevermore. Because since then, the 1911 has become the most replicated handgun on the market. It's been called the world's most popular handgun. And as I mentioned before, over 100 different companies have made clones or variants of the 1911 pistol. So how does this relate to the title of our episode, Yankee Fist? I'm, you know, I'm, I haven't really looked through this, Eric, but I haven't really seen the correlation yet. <laughs> well, that's actually a pretty interesting story as well. The Yankee Fist was birthed as a result of tragedy, or at a minimum, it was designed after seeing that the current weaponry on the market was greatly lacking. It's often said that Necessity is the mother of invention. Well, the creation of the M1911 is no different. So I guess we can pretty much interpret that John Moses Browning was a real American hero, to be sure. But, you know, he did that by creating the 1911. Yeah, you have to go back to actually Teddy Roosevelt and his Rough Riders during the Spanish-American War. This was the era of the revolver. And our soldiers came back from that war reporting that their 38 caliber revolvers lacked stopping power. I, I got to stop you right there. You know, we're going to get some people yelling at us on Twitter saying, you know, just because you brought the term stopping power, it, it can do that or it can't do that. I mean, I'm, just, yeah. just embrace hey, the suck that's going look, to happen look, on Twitter. Do not shoot the messenger. I'm just reporting to you what our military guys were saying there. Yeah, I know there's a fierce debate over stopping power, what it is or isn't. And I don't want to wade into that quicksand right now. All I'm saying is that in the Spanish-American War, our soldiers reported that their 38 caliber revolvers were not effectively stopping the enemy. So John Moses Browning uh, did, he designed the 45 caliber semi-automatic pistol, and it was truly revolutionary. So just, just to kind of touch bases on this, was this actually the first semi-auto handgun, or were there others before that? Yeah, there were actually other semi-automatic handguns out there, but they were not as reliable as the 1911. So when the U.S. military tested Browning's new design in 1911, they ran 6,000 rounds through the prototype without one jam. Try doing that with your firearm at home or at the range. Uh, then they even ran some disfigured ammunition to test the handgun's reliability, and again, not one jam. After the testing, one of the soldiers who had actually assisted in loading the magazines, he just blurted out, she made it by God. And indeed, the weapon had. The 1911 blew away the competition. It was more reliable. It was a larger caliber. 
than the earlier revolvers used in the Spanish-American War. And its magazine capacity obviously held more rounds than your typical revolver. So the gun went quickly into production and eventually became the standard sidearm for all the branches of the U.S. military until 1985. That would be the 1911 and its immediate descendant, the 1911A1. These pistols were used in several wars, but even before Alvin York used his 1911 to gun down Germans in World War I, Americans were using this pistol in the border war with Mexico, which was a conflict that reached its height in 1916. And Mexicans who were shot by the M1911 and survived reported that it felt like they'd been punched by a large man, hence the term Yankee Fist. Now I got it. Now I got it. Yeah. Well, and I should say, actually, it the, the name really didn't come about till later. Uh, the famed firearms expert, Jeff Cooper, he's the one that's actually credited with coming up with that nickname. But it's an appropriate description for the impact that the 1911 had in the border war with Mexico. Like I said, it became the military's standard issue sidearm. I mean, you wouldn't go into battle without it. You wouldn't even dare to jump out of a plane without one strapped to your side. In fact, in our next amazing story, let's discuss the episode where a soldier on the front lines used his 1911 to bring down a Japanese Zero. Oh my gosh, that that's incredible. But Eric, speaking of front lines, we can't go any further without bringing this up. One of the things that keeps gun owners of America on the front lines is the active support of its members. I mean, you listening, especially our life members, because, you know, those muchos dineros help pay for everything that we need to do to go out and, you know, combat those that want to take away your God-given rights. I mean, come on. But check this out. We got this note from one of GOA's life members in New Hampshire, one of my favorite states, Free State Project, shout out. His name is Alan Rice, and this is what he said. I've had the privilege of seeing up close GOA working in my state. GOA is effective, and they provided the national support that we needed to get constitutional carry passed in the Granite State. In fact, I was so impressed with GOA's work, I even signed up my teenage son for a GOA Life membership. I encourage people all the time to join GOA, and I hope the listeners of Firing Back will do so as well. I mean, that's right. It's so simple to do, folks. Simply go to gunowners.org and become part of the only no-compromise pro-gun movement today. So, Eric, getting back to pace, we were talking about the 1911. It's been widely heralded as the best handgun ever made. But you're, you're telling me that the Yankee Fist brought down a Japanese Zero. I mean, that uh, unless we're talking about a Michael Bay movie, that stuff just doesn't <laughs> really, you know— Make me believe it. All right. Well, let's talk about this story. It goes back to 1943 during World War II when an Air Force pilot, uh, his name was Owen Baggett, and his crew parachuted out of their B-24 bomber. And this was after the, the plane was severely crippled during a bombing run. Well, all the men successfully parachuted out of the plane, but sadly, several of the men were shot and killed by Japanese Zeros as the men slowly descended to the ground. And this included Lieutenant Baggett, who himself was grazed in the arm. Now, he pretended to be dead, hoping the enemy pilots would leave him alone. Sadly, that was not to be. One Japanese pilot flew his plane close to Baggett to get a better look at him. And I tell you, Remzo, what happens next, I mean, you would think it comes out of a scene in Captain America. I mean, something that would never happen in real life. But this comes to us from a report in the Air Force magazine, and they reported this in July of 1996. 
the Japanese pilot opens up his canopy to get a better look, and that's when Baggett pulled his 45 caliber 1911A1 and fired four rounds into the cockpit. The Zero then stalled, spun around, and then crashed. Okay, gotta stop you there. Clearly, those rounds did damage the plane and take it down, right? No, and nobody's actually alleging that, but there is quite a bit of evidence which supports the story that Baggett either shot and killed or critically wounded the Japanese pilot. Hence the reason the pilot was unable to recover the plane and it crashed. In fact, according to the Air Force magazine article, Japanese officials told American POWs that the Japanese pilot had been thrown from the plane and was found dead with a single bullet shot to the head. So that's the story where a 1911 took down a plane. You know what? Forget about the podcast. We need to go ahead and call Christopher Nolan and get this in some theaters everywhere. I mean, that's an incredible story. The fact that it's real is even more shocking. But what about the 1911 being used outside of U.S. military circles? I mean, how is it fared as a defensive weapon or something that people can conceal carry? Very well. Um, In fact, perhaps the most famous story, at least that I know of, is that of Chris Kyle, who obviously was prominently featured in the Hollywood movie American Sniper. His favorite handgun was the 1911. He called it a true warrior's tool. But as a civilian... Uh, Even after his last tour of duty, uh, he would carry that firearm. Well, he was held up by armed thugs at a gas station in Dallas. They were demanding his truck keys. And so he, you know, claimed that he was reaching into his truck to receive uh, or to, to get the keys. He pulled his 1911 instead with his right hand and fired from under his left armpit. He hit the first perp twice in the chest and then turned slightly to double tap the second guy. And there you go. End of threat. Oh, man. Th- th- think about think about how they imagined their day was going to go. They were going to go ahead and just, like, rob the 7-Eleven or something. And next thing you know, they're basically taken out by the devil of Ramadi. I mean, <laughs> c- come on. It does not get more priceless than that. Yeah. Uh. Well, I'm sure these guys had no idea who they were dealing with. But, you know, stories like that have been repeated many times over throughout the years. Uh, you know, concealed carrier stopped the mass shooting at a Louisiana gas station in 2016. And remember how in our first podcast, we talked about that Texas man who used a gun this year to kill a mass shooter in an Arlington sports bar. You know, concealed carry has been a, an incredible benefit for our country, even while the number of concealed carry holders has increased by over 200 percent during the first seven years of Obama's presidency. The murder rate drop 14% during that time. So, you know, there you have it. As Dr. John Lott likes to say, more guns, less crime. Someone needs to go ahead and send President Obama like a trophy or something for being like the number one gun salesman (laughs) during his time. Exactly. uh, You know, Eric, we've got to go ahead and wrap it up so that way we can go ahead and mail the former president his reward. Um, Folks, go ahead and do me a favor. Wherever you're listening to this program, do what I said at the beginning, not because I really want to see our ratings increase and, you know, have a bunch of people tell me how awesome I am and all that jazz. But this, this stuff is important. You're not going to see this on the main Mainstream media. You're not going to see this in a lot of other circles. This stuff matters. This is the stuff that people try and ignore. It's the stuff that people have no clue about. But if they did, it might change the argument supporting your right to defend yourself, your family, and your property. So go ahead, leave us a five-star rating and review, and check out so much more at gunowners.org. 
And thanks again to Wilson Combat, the undisputed industry leader in the high-performance 1911 handguns. Check them out at wilsoncombat.com to order your own customized, hand-built 1911 from a selection of many sizes and calibers. This is Firing Back. Tune in next time.